Hello and welcome to the Spring Cairo podcast. I'm Lisa and I talked to you last week about exposing yourself to new things to keep your brain young and make sure that new connections are being made in your brain. Because when you stop doing new things, your world shrinks and your brain shrinks. And with that, I mentioned learning physical skills and how that can help to rewire your brain. But I'm moving on today to the second really powerful way that you can directly make new connections, new synapses in your brain and stop your brain from aging and shrinking. And it might well surprise you because it's actually physical movement or exercise. And here I'm not talking about learning a physical skill like I did last time and rewiring your brain in that way. I'm just talking about any movement, any exercise of your body actually helps your brain. We tend to think of the benefits of exercise in, in terms of the rest of our body, really, I think, you know, strengthening and stretching the muscles, moving the joints and keeping them flexible. And of course, improving cardiovascular fitness by exercising your heart muscle. But many people don't realize that exercise also has a direct impact on the structure of your brain. And it's because exercise causes the release of several really important substances in the brain. And one of the key substances that I'm interested in talking, talking to you about today is called BDNF, which stands for Brain-Derived Neurotrophic Factor. Sounds long, but let's break it down, figure it out. Brain-derived, derived from the brain, so produced in the brain. Neuro always refers to your nerves or your nervous system. And trophic means related to food or nutrition. And it also means growth. So brain-derived neurotrophic factor is a chemical that is basically the equivalent of fertilizer or miracle grow for the growth of those trees in your forest. Remember I talked about um, a little while ago. And because of this, BDNF is very much involved in memory and learning. So exercise literally lights up your brain and encourages more connections to be formed between the neurons all over. I'm not just talking about the particular place that might be used to carry out the movement or the exercise itself. Remember, I described to you some time ago how your brain instructs a muscle to move via the nerves and the fact it also needs to receive sensory input to allow it to know exactly which muscles to move and how and so on. But in this case, if you're running, for example, it's not just the area of your brain that's telling your leg muscles to contract that gets the benefit. The whole brain is positively affected. We evolved originally to move, to walk long distances, to find and gather food, to run and chase and catch it. And movement has huge effects on our brain function, our learning and our memory, which also makes sense when you think our ancestors had to store a lot of information around in their brains about where to find certain resources. They had to file things away in their memory. So by movement and exercise, it includes walking, running, any type of aerobic exercise, also strength training, very important. I've mentioned this before in terms of bone and muscle health, but it's also very important to keep challenging and growing our brains and keeping them stimulated. Exercise literally makes you think better and smarter. There is a fantastic book called Spark by John Ratey, which illustrates this point beautifully. There was a school in the US in which they radically changed how they taught PE in several ways. First of all, they took away all team sports. 
because as we all know, sometimes, unfortunately, there are kids that get a bit left out who maybe aren't as coordinated or as fast or um, as skillful as others. And in team sports, they don't really get the benefit. So they encouraged kids to do whatever they wanted. It was all individual and it didn't matter what they wanted to do. And they have resources over there that we don't have in the UK, but they had, you know, they could go swimming, they could go rock climbing, they had a rock climbing wall, they had all sorts, obviously a running track they can go on. But the key point was that they had to keep their heart rate above a certain level to get an A. So it was all about effort. So the kid who was kind of shuffling around the track, you know, almost no more than a walk could still get an A because they were trying their hardest for them. So that was one thing they did. But the other thing they found was that if they allowed the children to come in in the morning and do some exercise first and have a physical exercise session, then the kids performed better. And overall, as they changed and they did this whole overhaul to their PE system, they found that the academic achievement went up and up and up. And in fact, the academic achievement went sky high in this particular school because the children themselves also got to know that they performed better in exams. If, for example, if they had an exam scheduled, they would make sure they went in that morning, did some exercise, and their performance was actually better. Their brains worked better. Absolutely incredible story. If you'd like to read that book, I would highly recommend it. It's another one I'd recommend. So with BDNF being released, as I said, it's like the miracle grow for your brain. It sparks up your brain, it lights it up. But as you might expect, it does work the other way around as well. So low levels of the BDNF are very much linked to things not working so well in your brain, in particular depression and anxiety. Low levels of BDNF are also seen in some degenerative brain disorders, such as Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis. We don't yet know whether there's a direct cause and effect there. We don't know which one came first. Um, But it has definitely been shown that exercise, even just walking regularly, slows mental decline and reduces the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. And a recent study illustrated this very nicely. They had participants who walked for 30 minutes at a time, four days a week for a period of three months. So not not particularly onerous. But even in that time, these people showed a significant improvement in memory. And they also showed connections being re-established in the brain in various different areas. Another lovely book that's based on all of this principle is, it's a true story, actually, it's called The Salt Path. And it's it was a couple, retired couple, who the husband had been diagnosed with a, a neurodegenerative disease in the brain um, that had no cure. And they went walking. Basically, they did the Southwest Coast Path, which is 630 miles in total. And they did it over several months, but they were just walking day in, day out. And they actually saw benefits for him. His, his symptoms actually started to reverse. Uh, really incredible story. Sadly, this is really quite worrying, though. As a race, we are so much less active than we used to be. We are quite sedentary. We sit in front of computers. But we are seeing effects in our brains. Scientists have seen and shown a reduction in the size of our brain. In particular, the human prefrontal cortex is shrinking. 
I mentioned that area of your brain a few episodes ago. It's the part at the front behind our forehead that does all the fancy stuff. It's where the logic, the reasoning, the planning, our personality all come from. It's also where our inhibition is. That's what stops us from doing something that's not acceptable. So it's your prefrontal cortex that would stop you running naked down the road, for example, unless it's your birthday. You're allowed to do it in your birthday suit. It's your prefrontal cortex that also stops you doing something criminal or damaging to other people. So the the implications of the human prefrontal cortex reducing in size overall is potentially quite major, not just in terms of us as individuals, but also society as a whole. Now, just to throw a slight spanner in the works, despite the name, BDNF is actually not only produced in the brain. They didn't realise this, of course, when they first named it, but it is found elsewhere in your nervous system, in your spine, and it's also produced by some cells of your immune system. But the thing that really blew my mind when I read about this is the fact that the bacteria that are in your gut, we call the whole collection of them your microbiome, they have an effect on the production of BDNF. So there is a direct link between your gut and the bacteria in your gut, your microbiome, and how your brain is working. They've shown this in in several areas, actually, not just BDNF. The bacteria in your gut can affect how you react to stress and even your sleep patterns. But the gut and the microbiome are another big subject to be covered another time. But it does bring me on to my third top tip. The third way that you can keep your brain healthy and keep it capable of making new connections and prevent shrinking. And that is to make sure that your brain and your microbiome are getting the fuel and the nutrients they need to work properly. In other words, what you're eating. Now, diet obviously is a huge subject, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but basically we need a good balanced diet of protein, carbohydrate and fat, along with all the various essential vitamins and minerals, so that our diet provides all the nutrients our bodies and our brains need to work properly. I will effectively boil it down to one very sage sentence. Put stuff in your mouth that's good for your brain and don't put stuff in your mouth that's bad for your brain. But don't worry, I will expand a little bit on this briefly to give you some guidance. Because when it comes to diet and brain function in particular, there are a few special mentions and there are some areas that are still very poorly understood by most people, I think, or by many people at least. First of all, fat. Now, fat has had a bit of a bad rap all round and has been slated as being the evil cause of all sorts of things health-wise. But I'm here to tell you that fat has been, for the large part, very unfairly maligned. And this has been known for years, decades, in fact. But for some reason, it's still quite entrenched in people's minds that fat is bad. But we absolutely need fat in our diet. It gives us essential nutrients. It actually also is needed to help our body absorb other essential nutrients, especially some of the vitamins that are fat soluble. We need fat to to absorb those. Fat helps us to feel fuller for longer. So we're less likely to snack on rubbish later. And it makes things taste nicer and more satisfying. It gives things a good, they call it a mouthfeel. That's what it's like in the mouth, how satisfying it is to eat it, to have it in your mouth. Fat is needed as a fuel, and it's needed to make all of our cells because it's a big component of our cell membranes. And in this case, most importantly, fat is also absolutely essential for the health of your brain and to allow your nervous system to work properly. And there are various reasons for this, but one important one has to do with the structure of the nerve cells themselves. 
Remember I talked to you about your neurons, your nerve cells being like little electrical wires. They're sending electrical impulses from one place to another. And if you think about the wiring in your house, you know that wires are all wrapped in little sheaths of insulating plastic. Because if the wires were all just bare, they'd be short-circuiting all over the place. No electrical signal would get to where it needs to go. Well, your neurons, your nerve cells, also have an insulating sheath around them for exactly the same reason. And this sheath is largely made from fats. And some of those fats are manufactured in your body, and some are essential fats that we have to absorb from the food we eat. But without the right fats, our brain, our nervous system can't work efficiently. And there is quite a lot of research out there now that links low-fat diets with an increased risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. By the way, anything labelled low-fat is often more highly processed and has usually had lots of sugar added instead, because taking the fat out takes out the flavour. So these products are not the healthy option that people think. Sugar, refined sugar, is definitely one of the bad guys. Artificial sweeteners, by the way, are no better. In fact, some of them, such as aspartame, is known to be neurotoxic. Neuro, nerves, nervous system, toxic, toxic. So in other words, they kill, or at the very least, it's very bad for nerve cells. And aspartame and other artificial sweeteners have been linked with learning difficulties, behavioural problems, all sorts. So when it comes to fat, not all fat is equal. There are definitely good and bad fats, but some of it might surprise you as to which is which. Good fats are fats that your body needs and that it can process in a normal way. You've probably heard of unsaturated fats. They're either polyunsaturated or monounsaturated. These are generally good fats within reason and they include the essential fatty acids. These are, fat, these are fats that we can't make in our body and we need to get from our diet. There are several of these. You've probably heard of the omega-3 fatty acids, for example. These are really important for brain function, which is probably why eating fish, which is high in omega-3s, has been shown to have benefits for brain function, cognition, memory, in fact, brain size, stopping that age-related shrinkage I've mentioned. Nuts and seeds, also a very good source. The unsaturated fats also includes oils. These are the fats that are liquid at room temperature, some of which are very good for you, such as olive oil. Uh, extra virgin olive oil has the best nutrient profile overall because it's been the least processed. And when it comes to cooking at high temperatures, for example, for frying or sauteing, you want to look at the oil's smoke point. This is the temperature at which the oil literally starts to smoke because at this point, they can all produce some very harmful chemicals, including various carcinogenic chemicals. Carcinogenic means capable of causing cancer. So you want an oil with the highest smoke point so that you don't reach that level. And the oil with the highest is, pretty much the highest, is avocado oil. But then we've got the saturated fats. And these generally are the fats that are found in animal products, meat, dairy, and so on. These have also had a bit of a bad rap. They are not as bad as their reputation suggests. Our bodies can at least process these in a normal way. Although the usual advice is that we shouldn't have too much of them in our diet. But when, again, going back to what I was just talking about in terms of frying food, actually pretty much the highest smoke point is seen with ghee, which is clarified butter. So this may be surprising to you. Frying with ghee produces less harmful chemicals than frying with sunflower oil for example. And finally, the other main group of fats that you may have heard of are called the trans fats. 
These are also called the partially hydrogenated fats, and these are really very much the bad fats. These are made by a process that takes a vegetable oil, which is a liquid, and converts it into a solid at room temperature. And at the time it was first developed, it was very useful for mass production of lots of food because it's more stable, has a longer shelf life because it doesn't go off. And they thought it was also a healthier option. But our bodies cannot metabolize these fats in the normal way. There are some naturally occurring trans fats in meat and dairy, but they don't seem to cause the trouble to our bodies that the artificially produced ones we now know do because there is plenty of evidence that a diet high in artificial trans fats is associated with increased risks of heart disease, strokes, Alzheimer's, as well as all sorts of other nasties. They definitely raise your bad cholesterol levels and reduce the good. In fact, the evidence is so clear that trans fats are not good for us that the FDA in the, in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, recategorized them some years ago as being not generally recognised as safe to consume. And that's a, a shocker because they are found in lots of food. They are found in many ultra-processed foods, especially cakes, biscuits, crisps, a lot of fast foods, deep-fried foods, for example. We now know that ultra-processed food also affects our brain function and our metabolism, even our weight. But it might surprise you most of all to learn that margarine is a trans fat. Any vegetable oil that has been processed to make it more solid, i.e. spreadable, is a trans fat. When it was first de developed, again, they thought it was the healthy option compared to butter. But we know now the evidence says it's very much not the healthy option. I always have butter, never margarine. Another very important group of nutrients for brain function I'm going to just talk briefly about, and this affects brain health, cognition, memory, is a group of vitamins called the B vitamins. There are several of them, but they are a very important group and they have been shown to actually stop brain shrinkage. In particular, vitamin B12 is really important and a lack of B12 has been strongly linked with the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's as well as other neurological problems and actual nerve damage as well. And this may be why a group of medications that are quite common that are given for acid reflux are linked with dementia. This group of medications includes most commonly ones called omeprazole and lanzoprazole, and these significantly increase your risk of B12 deficiency because they affect its absorption in your gut, and they seem to have a strong link with dementia. So if you are taking those medications, I always recommend taking a B12 supplement, of which the best type is one that dissolves under your tongue or is a liquid, uh, not one that you just swallow as a capsule, for example, because it's often not very well absorbed in the gut for various reasons, and especially if you're taking those medications as well. So that was just a really quick little whistle-stop tour of some of the things that are good for to eat for your brain and some that aren't. And to recap my top three tips for keeping your brain healthy. So variety, try new things, do new things, learn new skills, step out of your comfort zone. That increases your brain size. Exercise, moving your body, releases that miracle grow fertilizer in your brain. Make sure you keep doing stuff. Diet, you can't expect your brain to work properly if you're not feeding it what it needs or if you're feeding it things that are harmful. It's really as simple as that. I hope that's all interesting and useful for you. I am wishing you all the best health and happiness. Take care. Mm -hmm.